Welcome back to the 211th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including a DeSantis-Haley ticket, question mark, what Chris Christie can do to fulfill his mission to make sure Trump does not become president, and, well, president again, and an interesting uh, new bill going through the Florida House that may change the dynamics a little bit and may outrage some people. And of course, one today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, there's enough rambling for me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So if you were to see a combination ticket of anybody out there in the primary, in the Republican primary, because, well, the Democratic primary isn't really happening. It's mainly just Joe Biden, and they're kind of hushing everybody else out. But maybe if you wanted to include them, maybe you'd like a, a Biden, uh, Marianne Williamson in your ideal world, or maybe inverse, make uh, Williamson the top candidate and put Joe Biden back as president. I don't, I don't know. But what's your favorite combination? If you had to have in your ideal world, maybe an RFK Haley, I don't know. It, there are lots of different ways to put it together here. And then don't forget your Green Party candidates. Don't forget... Your Cornell Wesses, don't forget your RFKs, and oh, don't forget your Libertarian Party. I forgot what his his name is, but he is running for president, so you could put together a whole bunch of different ones, and they could be quite unique, honestly. And if there's somebody who's not already running, throw them in there as well. So, obviously, this gives us a nice little lead into our first article that comes from the Washington Examiner. And the headline reads... DeSantis Haley is the best replacement for Biden. So they're not hiding their anti-Trump or at least non-favoritism towards Trump. And they're going with two of the established candidates. Now, they did put DeSantis at the top of the ticket and Haley as the VP. I don't necessarily think Haley would stand for that. And we both know the other way around wouldn't go because DeSantis would not stand for being the vice president. He wants to go straight from Florida into the presidency. He's already been the senator for Florida. So it's that nice escalation, just like the Ronald Reagan from governor of California to governor, sorry, president of the United States, even though it did take him a little bit to get there. So let's see if uh, their argument really flushes out here. Quote, for Democrats, it's almost assuredly too late. Barring some health problems that would require Biden to relinquish the nomination at the convention, not entirely out of the realm of possibility for a man who is 81 and will be 82 by the first day of his second term, the Democrats are stuck with the most unpopular incumbent president since the modern polling began. For Republicans, the path is clearer, but the clock is ticking down to the 11th hour. The Iowa caucuses are Monday evening, so if I'm recording this on Saturday night, so Happy Caucus Day, by the way, because this is coming out on Monday. So, yes, we're getting to the very last second here. Quote, followed by contests in New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. Trump is ahead in all of them, but he leads more, his leads are not insurmountable. The remaining two big-name candidates have a formidable ticket. The case against Trump is clear. But here is a quick recap. He is nearly he is as nearly as old as Biden. Trump is 77 and he is at least as unpopular, <laughs> which I mean, it, it depends on where you're grabbing your, your polling from. But if we're talking about the opposite side of the aisle, then 100 percent, the 
people on the Republican side loathe Biden just as much as the people on, actually, I don't know about just as much, but pretty darn close to the people on the left, how much do they loathe uh, Trump? Quote, when Trump last became the party's leader, Republicans lost the House, Senate, and the White House. Republicans are all, have also lost control of more governor's mansions and more state legislators. He said that we'd get tired of winning, but instead, all conservatives should be sick of losing. And this is a phenomenal, phenomenal point, which is, yes, there was this idea when Trump came into office that oh, he was going to, you know, change the party and for the better he's going to bring in the working class people but a lot of those people are just trump voters they don't show up in the mid-year elections they don't show up on the odd years so if trump's not on the ticket then he's not actually going to pull them along and everybody else below him along to victory so what is the idea here what what does the republican party actually want do they want somebody who's going to bring out a lot of new voters, possibly get them open to being a Republican, but not really because they're going to fall in love with Trump? Or do they want to put together, a, use that momentum that Trump has already brought out there and put together another successful Republican administration that could possibly do the same things as him, but maybe a little bit different and drag some of them to be permanent Republicans rather than people that just want to see Trump in office? And let's be clear, I think their time could come. I think if they did another four years of Trump and then they, the Republican Party uses that four years to strategize how they're going to message to these people, how they're going to bring them along, they could make it work. I also think that if Trump doesn't win this time and they say, okay, hey, uh, Trump, we're going to have a conversation with you. He, I don't think his eagle will let him not run again. But if he was to not run in the next election, I think maybe they would have enough time to cobble something together, but it would be pretty darn hard. With him just stepping down, most of his people would say, ah, oh, they're just, they're not, you know, the RNC's pressuring him behind the scenes, or maybe he's behind bars at that point. If he doesn't win, he'll probably be behind bars because the people who don't like Trump on the other side of the aisle are using, I don't want to say using their political power to directly put him away. Um, but they're definitely using the levers at their disposal in order to reach their ends. Let's put it that way. Am I saying it in a negative way where they're misusing their power? I would say there could be a good argument made for that. But if you're just to look at it from a completely, and I say completely disinterested point of view, they're using the levers that they have in front of them. They're like, ooh, shiny. Oh, it's going to hurt Trump. Okay. Might as well. It's I, I think there's a little bit more malice behind it than that, but that's besides the point. If the, Trump does go away and his MAGA people, who are, I don't want to say they're not Republicans, because there are a lot of Republicans who are MAGA people, but not all MAGA people are Republicans. And I know you're probably saying MAGA, MAGA, however you want to pronounce it. Not all MAGA people are Republicans. At the end of the day, they like some of Trump's protectionist policies, or at least the rhetoric around bringing jobs back from other countries, which those are more of the uh, blue-collar workers that Democrats really used to speak to. So would they go back to the Democratic Party, especially with some of the infrastructure that Joe Biden's trying to lay down? People may not like infrastructure, uh, the inflation that comes along with that infrastructure, but I, you know, I was listening to a few different things today, and the argument that some people are making is that Joe Biden's IRA and this sort of 
investment into America is is not going to pan out right now, but maybe eight, ten years down the road or four years from now down the road, eight years from now down the road, we'll see a lot of improvement in the industrial base. We'll see a lot of improvement uh, across the nation with jobs and maybe some blue collar voters are really down for that sort of economic plan that Democrats could bring to the table if it allures them back. So, and I think that's honestly Joe Biden's kind of idea. He's been a very pro-union president. So he's kind of returning to the 50s, 60s Democratic model, which is we're going to empower the unions so we always have them on our side. We're going to try to focus on industrial policies, or sorry, they didn't focus directly on industrial policies. They did a little bit, but a lot of infrastructure jobs, a lot of things that are meant to keep uh, the American industrial base locked in and therefore the working people that come along with those jobs in those different industrial uh, cities, towns, keep them locked in or bring them back to the Democratic Party. So without a Trump there, maybe they are able to court a few of them. And I don't know if the RNC would be able to pivot. And even with this ticket that they're proposing, I don't necessarily think that they're going to be able to make it work. I'm not trying to be negative here. I'm just saying that it's it's probably not going to be exactly what the Washington Examiner is really proposing here. A DeSantis Haley is going to turn off all the wrong people. The people who do not, and let's be clear, when I say all the wrong people, maybe it will get you through a general. But I think the goal of the RNC, besides just winning the presidency, if there's a secondary goal, it is keeping the people who Trump brought into the party activated and keeping them on their side. Because he also brought in, Trump also brought in a lot of people who are of different groups that the RNC didn't normally go for before. They were talking about Hispanic Americans, we're talking about black Americans. We're talking about key demographics going into the future that the RNC needs to at least try to keep in the party. And that's not to say that they can't. And it's not to say that they didn't come because they truly believe in Republican values. But if you are coming into a movement under a specific person, if that person is gone, then it does become a little bit harder. You start to question, what right was I here because of this person? Oh, the guy I really liked within this movement is now gone. You have to really question things and you have to re-examine, or at least that's what a lot of people are going to do. I'm not going to say that it's 100% they're going to lose all of these different people if Trump is gone, but it is definitely part of the calculus and the RNC needs to start thinking past Trump because even if Trump becomes president again, even if he doesn't become president again, no matter what happens, he will be, I don't want to say he'll be gone, but he will probably pass within at least the next 20 years. I would say more realistically, it's 10. Not that he's you know super unhealthy, even though he's not the healthiest person in the world, but you need to start thinking beyond this. And I know they're thinking about four years out. They're thinking election cycles. They're thinking about governor's races, so on and so forth. They're thinking about victory in the now. They got to think long term here. So what is the appeal of a DeSantis Haley ticket. And I'm going to try to synthesize their points here into whether or not they could translate to bringing in the MAGA crowd. 
Quote, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley are both highly capable, and their combination as president and vice president would both wel- be welcomed by voters and good for America. DeSantis is the candidate with a stronger executive track record, delivering wins first for other Republican candidates down the ballot, and then turning those electoral wins into policy wins at the Capitol. Before DeSantis became governor, Florida was a purple state, so on and so forth. I don't want to get into that one as much because it's fair, but I want to hear their point about Haley. Quote, Haley would bring a strong balance to the Republican ticket. She has foreign policy experience to Sanders lacks and a clear and compelling understanding of America's place in the world. She could bring a strong inroad into the college-educated suburban communities that Trump has sent running from the Democratic Party. Now, yes, I, I do think this is a good point, which is a lot of the voters for the Democrats nowadays are going to be more of your college educated. That's how the demographics are breaking down. And Haley is definitely more of a moderate Republican, you know, more like a DC, I don't want to say swamp creature because that's kind of derogatory nowadays, but she is a DC woman. She has made her career in DC and then, you know, went on to the governor's mansion as well. She has become famous because of what she did in DC being a moderate, she's not going to be out there saying the most crazy stuff. Even when she was governing, governoring in South Carolina, she was not going crazy. She was very, very moderate, appealing to both sides of the aisle, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But guess what? Not all of the people that you brought into the party now are going to agree with some of her stances, especially some of her pro-war stances. They're definitely not going to agree with that whatsoever. And what is the likelihood that you're going to regain those voters that you lost? I, I don't know. I honestly don't know what the answer to that question is. But what is the better bet? Going for the people that have come into the party, have bought into the vision, or the people who didn't like the vision anymore. I think one of those is going to be easier to convince to stay, and one's going to be harder. Now, let's be clear, if Trump's gone, those MAGA people may leave anyway, so maybe my argument falls apart there. But I I think that this ticket, when the Washington Examiner people were writing it, they're like, oh yeah, we're so clever, this is going to be so amazing. I'm sorry, This ticket does not appeal to the younger generation. And I'm not saying that they have to get Gen Z votes. A lot of Gen Z votes, a lot of younger millennials are going to go Democrats no matter what. But Haley, okay, I'm going off of very limited information here. I talked to a few of my coworkers over the course of this last week. I asked about Haley. And a lot of them said, no, I I just don't like her. And it wasn't just guys, it was one or two girls that actually said they don't like her. A few of the girls were in, a few of the guys were okay with it, but a lot of the people I talked to were just, no. And I don't know what the reasoning it is, maybe it's because we grew up under a war, we don't want to be sent out to war, so on and so forth. There could be lots of explanations, but the Haley aspect of this ticket doesn't necessarily appeal. And a lot of the DeSantis people don't appeal either. Some of them see him as a a really effective executive, but they still see him as someone who grew up and got his bona fides in D.C. And a lot of this generation is more populist. They don't want to see that. You could honestly make a uniting force between the populist on the right and the left, and it would probably win over a lot of younger people. Not necessarily saying that, you know, leftist policy or uh, a little bit further right policy is exactly what they're looking for, 
but anti-establishment kind of policies, you could put that together and it would probably win a good majority of the younger vote. So when you have two people, one who's a little bit more establishment than the other, but both of them are pretty darn establishment, I don't think that this is the path forward for a lot of young voters, which is something else they're starting to peel off a little bit from Biden. And let's be clear, we know that there are other demographics that don't necessarily trust institutions within the United States. So maybe you could start appealing to those. I, I think that there's a good chunk of women who don't necessarily think that all the institutions are exactly what they thought they would be. Uh, you have probably a few minority groups that think that the institutions have not served them properly. They're only serving one section of the population. And, and you probably have a, a good chunk of people who are a little bit less well-off, who feel as though the American system hasn't worked out for them, and they may be able to, or willing to channel that energy into a populist movement in order to push out the old establishment and redefine things. Now, do I think all of the policies that would come out of that would be good? No, I, I don't. But at the end of the day, the personalities, the people who are railing against the machine, and even if they work within the machine to change the machine, we would rather have those than the people that don't want to change much, and they just want to keep everything like business as normal. You know, when Biden said uh, it's a return to normalcy, you know, that may have worked for a lot of the older voters who were tired of all the craziness, but a lot of us younger people, at least the ones I, I was talking to and I, that I listened to, that's, let's be clear, I am getting some of my information from other people that are within my generation, or at least close, and are making commentary about it as well. They're like, yeah, we don't want to return to normal. That's the whole problem. We're not saying we want Trump, but we just don't want to return to normal because that normal was something that is kind of, I don't, I don't want to say elitist, but it's very closed off. It's the D.C. bubble, and at the end of the day, whatever floats in D.C., whatever flies in D.C., that's what's going to be put in place, not listening to the rest of the people within this country. And as Mike Pence would say, which is perfect representation of establishment, we can't fall to the siren song of populism. I do agree with that. We can't go too far down the populist road. There's no disagreement here from me. But that doesn't mean that we have to keep this idea that Washington's going to do Washington and do whatever they want, devoid of what everybody else is saying. No, they need to be held accountable. That little bit of tinge of populism needs to be injected every once in a while to make sure that they know we're standing here, we're going to keep them liable, and then we can let them operate in a relatively unaffected way and make sure our voice is heard, especially with all the different activism this generation is a part of. There's no way that the voice of this generation won't be heard if they continue to be as active as they have. So that was on my point on that one. Um, that's why I don't think that ticket would work, but I, I do enjoy the Washington Examiner at least putting out a little thought piece like that. So our next article is one that comes from The Daily Beast, and the headline reads, Chris Christie has one move left that may save us from Trump. And I'll be honest, uh, I first read this and I, I was like, okay, I know where you're probably going with this. But then they actually said it out loud. I was like, no, you guys are absolutely crazy. Then again, if Christie really, if he was really in this, not just for Republican values, but really just to get rid of Trump, maybe this is exactly what he does. I, I think it would be funny to say the least. I think you could make a good meme out of it. But he's also chalking any future presidential run or any other uh, big play within the Republican sphere if he goes about doing exactly what they were talking about here. 
Um, so there's this guy who's writing an article in the Bellwalk, uh, the Bellwork, sorry. And the Daily Beast author is quoting him and talking about everything so far. And they give a little bit of introduction about what Christie is doing, and here's one of the main quotes from the article. Quote, the logic of everything he has said, Christie, and done for the last year is that in August he should be in the Chicago Democratic National Convention, and he should be on stage saying, I am not a Democrat. I'm a Republican. But I'm here to tell you guys that if you want to save the Republican Party, the way to do it isn't to suck up to Trump and vote for him. It's to get Trump beat with a stick, and that's why I'm supporting Joe Biden, and I call all of my other fellow Republicans to vote for my, any honorable Republican down ballot that you can find, but join me in supporting this good man, end quote. So what are they telling him to do? They're telling him to endorse Biden. They're telling him to cross the party line, to go to the national convention, and to say, I endorse Joe Biden. Come on on. Are you kidding me? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Daily Beast, this is the most idiotic thing I've ever heard. Maybe, okay, in a world where we're talking about DeSantis Haley tickets, where we're talking about crazy crap that's not going to happen, yeah, this is this is probably one of the craziest things. And I understand where they're coming from. If he really wants to follow through on that 100% logic where he won't let Trump win whatsoever, that is, that is his number one priority. Sure, there, you could get to this point. And if you're talking, <laughs> I just, I, I, sorry, I'm just giggling at the fact that they think this is actually going to happen. So if we're talking pure theoretical world where he's following that premise to the end, sure. But do you really think he's going to want Joe Biden, who believes in more government involvement? Literally, Christie's main thing. He's not even somebody who's going to go to the populist side of the party. He's somebody who sticks by the old tenets of small government. And Joe Biden has increased the size of government, just like every administration in the past has. But he hasn't even been hiding it. He's been actively saying that he's trying to increase executive powers with student debt uh, cancellation, with a few different executive agencies putting in new regulations that are a little bit more overreaching that have had to been challenged by the Supreme Court and knocked down. And Chris Christie even came out against the Florida limiting of books in schools, however you want to put it. Some people are just calling them book bans. I think that's unfair to just outright call them that, but, you know, whatever. He came out against that policy because it is the government getting more directly involved in people's lives. So if you're telling me that he is going to go to the president, who has expanded the government influence, the government footprint in the American citizens' lives in four years more than Obama was able to do in eight, yeah, I don't know about that, actually. Maybe you could say with the surveillance state, but with just the raw executive power that he's trying to use, especially with a lot of the provisions that were in most of the bills that he tried to pass go coming after COVID, come on. Christie is not going to fall down that rabbit hole. He's not going to fall for the siren song of anti-Trumpism, just like... You know, Pence is making his point about the siren song of populism. Christie is not going to fall for the silent, the siren song of anything but Trump. He would take Trump in a day over Joe Biden. And okay, maybe maybe it would take him a month. Maybe it would take him a month to really contemplate what he wants out of that. But also, you have to think from pure political interest. If he crosses the aisle to Joe Biden, he is officially joining the uh, like Lincoln Project. And, or the bell work. 
he's joining these sort of magazines that are laughed at by true conservatives. And I'm sorry, there's not a moderate enough wing of the Republican Party right now. There's not a purely establishment wing. Until Trump is gone, that wing will not be fully back up and running because a lot of people support Donald Trump. And in order to get elected, even those moderates have to say that they're for some of Trump's policies, they're going to at least support him rhetorically. So Chrissy is going to be out of a spot for a quite some time. And you're going to have all the people who absolutely love Trump who are going to try to stonewall him from doing anything productive in the party. So no, politically, it's a killer for him. And then I think ideology-wise, he would also just not do it. So no, this is the stupidest article I have ever heard. Yes, you're running a hypothetical. You're saying this is what he could do. But don't waste anybody's time by getting their hopes up. Don't waste anybody's time by putting this out there because it's not going to happen. Okay, sure, I'm happy you're putting your opinion out there, but put it on a blog, don't put it on a major publication, don't waste anybody's time. And yes, I know, I know, I know. You're like, oh, Alex, you just read it to me. You just spent a whole five-minute segment, six-minute segment on it. Yes, I did, and because it's stupid, and I wanted to make sure that you knew how stupid some of these outlets were, including the first one from the National Review. I think that one was made in a little bit more good faith, but I still think it was stupid. So, that's enough with all of that. Let's jump to our final article that comes from Rolling Stone. And this has to do with Mr. Governor, sorry, Governor DeSantis's home state. Florida Republicans want to destroy restrictions on teenage labor. So when I first read that headline, I was like, whoa, what are they talking about? And it's actually a very interesting article. And I don't know if I agree, disagree with some of the proponents of the bill, but Let me just read it out to you and we can get my opinion on it. Quote, the bill introduced in September and now under review by the Florida House Regulatory Reform and Economic Development Subcommittee would regulate 16 and 17 year olds to virtually the same status as an employee who's over the age of 18, provided the teen have either formally dropped out of school or are taking classes online or at home. Furthermore, the bill would also severely curtail multiple municipalities' ability to implement their own provisions to combat the workplace exploitation of minors. That's a very heavy weighting there, workplace exploitation of minors. The Florida Policy Institute, a state-level policy research nonprofit, issued a statement opposing the legislation. Quote, during a time when Florida lawmakers should be focusing on implementing greater protection for all workers, not fewer, we are especially concerned with legislators that are considering a bill that would undo critical protections for Florida's child labor laws. Sadif Knight, a chief executive officer of the organization, wrote, officer of the organization, wrote. Now, when you're first hearing this, and some of the, the weighted language that you're hearing from them, uh, yes, exploiting child labor. Uh, I'm going to be honest, I am not totally opposed to this. If the kid is dropping out of school, okay, so let, let me put it this way. I don't think that the kid should be able to say, I'm dropping out of school in order to get a job. If the student is already going to drop out of school, I think that they should be able to go out and get a job. If So the reason I say this, my grandmother, uh, she she dropped out of school. She or she at least for a little bit there, she didn't finish all the way through because she had a family to support. And luckily, I, I'm so grateful that I was never put in that position. I, I did work since I was young, but 
I didn't have to work and drop out of school. And I know my parents also worked, but they didn't have to drop out of school in order to work. And like I said, thankful that we were never in that position. But there are people who are in that position where their their mom gets sick and they have to you know drop out and go and work in order to help their parents out. But guess what? It's only part-time. They, or they're pulling two or three part-time jobs. So what happens to the people who do want to work, who want to put in those hard hours, who can actually get paid more now that they're considered different than a minor? They're actually considered uh, you know, a little bit of an in-between uh, of an adult-ish. Then maybe they can get paid a little bit more. They can pull a few more hours. And they say child exploitation. I understand where they're coming from, which is these kids may not know better. They could get taken advantage of, but also they could better their situation, especially nowadays when college is becoming less necessary, when there are more opportunities out there in the world, when you can learn a lot of things online. There are a lot of jobs that are just solely online where you can learn all those skills from just doing it. I think that there, there needs to be a consideration at least do I 100% agree with all the implementations? No, I haven't read it all, and there's going to be changes because it's in subcommittee right now. But it is a serious conversation that needs to be had because at the end of the day, when you hit 16 and 17, I would even argue at 15, you can start making money. You should be making money. You should be out there working. Like I said, I don't think it should come at the cost of your education, but there are different circumstances for everybody. And there are some people who genuinely will not do good in school. They could be geniuses and they'll be bored at school and it's not going to be good for them. Or they could just be people that don't like school and they're going to find more purpose and make more money out doing a different job, doing apprenticeships with plumbers or you know, building houses with a local contractor and going out and doing that and getting the skill and then selling that rather than wasting time in a class that they're probably not going to use and then you know being pressured to go to college or community college and waste time. I, I think this is a serious conversation that needs to be had. I think education is important, but education is also something that you opt into. Education should be f- looked at more as a job, not as a requirement, not as you have to absolutely do it just to exist, just to seem valid in this world. No, education should be something that you choose to go forward with and you take as seriously as a job because you're actually paying money to be taught things. So guess what? You should understand the responsibility that comes along with that. And if you don't want to go into education, guess what? You should probably get a job. If you don't want to go and get an education so you can make a little bit more money on the job market, which isn't necessarily true in everything nowadays, then you should definitely be able to have the ability to make money or at least have a little bit more leverage because as minors, you have very little leverage. So maybe this is something that could be seen as a benefit for those younger people who are put into that position that need to do it or that want to do it. And like I said, I want this conversation to be had out there. People could very easily come to me with a counterpoint, and I obviously haven't thought of it. And they'll be like, oh, Alex, you're so stupid. You should have thought of this, this, and this. And I'll be like, okay, I'm, I'm willing to engage in that conversation. So that's enough on all that stuff. Let's jump to our daily delight. This one comes from Parade Pets, and the headline reads, Orphaned Baby Monkey's Friendship with Rescue Kitten is Warming People's Hearts. And yes, I'll tell you now, the thing that got me was the photo on this one, but the story is really good. 
Uh, but I'll just read a very short one from it, and then I'll give you the information on where you can find this article. Quote, thanks to a new clip from CBS News, we see the moment a rescue kitten named Marble and an orphan baby monkey named William become inseparable. This duo met one another at the Tawala, or Tawala, I think is probably the best way to pronounce it, Trust Animal Sanctuary in Zimbabwe. There, the orphaned ver- vervet monkey found love in Marble, and now they're a match made in heaven. So, if you want to see any of the cute photos or videos from these guys, or you want to read any of today's articles in full, there's a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find the link to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, as well as Podvine. And with all that said, there is only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.